0: And let's turn in our Bibles this morning again to 1 Peter. And we're going to read from chapter 2. 1 Peter, and we're at chapter 2. 1 Peter, chapter 2. And we're going to read from verse 7. 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 7. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and the rock of offence, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient. For unto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people, ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that, whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the King as Supreme or unto governors, As unto them that are sent by him. For the punishment of evildoers. And for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God. That with well doing. Ye may put to silence. The ignorance of foolish men. As free. And not using your liberty. For a cloak of maliciousness. But as servants of God. Honor all men. Love. Love. The Brotherhood. Fear God. Honour the King. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse seventeen, and we just pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his infallible and inerrant word. Now my text this morning is taken from verse twelve that I've already read twice in your presence from First Peter chapter two. And my subject today is things to remember in the pursuit of a good testimony. Now every one of us who professes the name of Christ, who claims to be a born again Christian, we want to have a good testimony. And in order to have that good testimony, there are things that we ought to remember. And that's exactly what the Apostle Peter is dealing with in this verse 12. Now last week we dealt with the subject of the Christians' holy war. And together we thought of the danger that every true believer faces. Every true born again (laughs) believer is involved in a war, remember? A conflict. Against inward remaining sin, every believer faces a daily, constant, continual, spiritual assault from his own fleshly desires. Then we looked at the demand every believer faces. (coughs) Peter's appeal to these believers was this, abstain. That's his message, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. What did he mean? Keep oneself from them. Hold back from succumbing to them. Remember, this is the will of God. Isn't that what he said in First Thessalonians 4 and 3? For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. And we close with the duty that every believer faces. Let's remember who we are. We're the people of God. And as the people of God, we're strangers and pilgrims in the world. Now today we're moving on to verse 12. And I want to set before you three things to remember in the pursuit of a good testimony. As I've said, we all want to have a good testimony, to be well thought of uh, by those that are without Christ. And in order to have a good testimony, in order to pursue that, there's three things that we ought to remember. Now here's the first thing. Remember The opposition that's hostile. Look at the text. Think of the words, For as they speak against you as evildoers. You see, Peter is a realist. He lives in the real world. And he constantly takes into his mind the fact that there is a cruel, bitter hostility in the world toward the church, and toward the Christian. See, in the first century, Christians were a distinct minority. And they're often the object of slander, opposition, abuse, and persecution. As Christians, of course, they refused to participate in empire worship. They also refused to live as the other Gentiles lived. Listen to what he says in First Peter chapter four and four, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. In other words, the Christians were the object of slander and ridicule, and they suffered much, even unto death, because of the lifestyle that they left. Remember, it was Nero. Set Rome on fire, and then he blamed the Christians for burning it down. He made them scapegoats, and they were slandered. They suffered much, and they were even slaughtered. And Peter himself, of course, is no stranger to this opposition, to this slander, to this kind of suffering. He knew what it was to suffer much from the hands of unbelieving Jews and the hands of the Greeks and the hands of the Romans and he learned from the day of his conversion up to the time of writing it this world is not a friendly or a favorable place for the people of God we live in the world that's right but we are not part and parcel of it and his point in verse 12 is to remember that the worldly man or woman speaks against the Christian Often as evildoers. Isn't that what he says? That whereas they speak against you as evildoers. Now verse 11 has to do with our inner struggle. The battle with inward remaining sin. Our our battle against fleshly desires. Then in verse 12 by way of a contrast he's dealing with another enemy. He's dealing with the outward struggle in the world. Besides the battle with inward remaining sin. He's saying we've got another enemy. Namely the hostility of the world. The world is no friend to God. No friend to grace. The word evil speaking here. Or evil doers. It has to do with slander. It has to do with backbiting It has to do with gossip Lies False witness now, now think of it In the first century this is what they were saying The Christians are evildoers What did that mean? It meant in their eyes they were bad people They, they were wicked They were worthless They deserved severe punishment they don't deserve to be treated well. You see, all kinds of accusations were, were labelled against them in the first century. And in light of these accusations, they were saying these people ought to be punished severely for this kind of behaviour. They cause trouble. They do bad things. Therefore, the Christian and the church was verbally attacked. Aye, and often physically attacked. They were fair game for scorn and slander. See, this is what was said. Imagine the Christians meeting behind closed doors. In a house or or in a public building. You live immoral lives in there. You're rebellious toward the emperor. You start trouble about religion because you come into our areas and you preach about Jesus. Jesus. You start trouble about our lives and practices because you tell us we're wrong. You tell us we're sinful. You tell us we're, we're object of God's wrath. We, we, we accuse you of offering children and sacrifice. You burnt Rome. You're disgusting. You eat human flesh. Remember the body and blood of Christ at communion? See, that was how the Gentiles interpreted it. And they made all these levels of accusation against the Christian. And they branded them as evildoers. That's what he says. They speak against you as evildoers. See, the first century Christians lived in a world that despised the name Christian, they were hated. The world was no friend to them they hated their association with Jesus Christ they hated their allegiance to Jesus Christ they hated their announcements about Christ now let me lift it from the first century people and come and project ourselves into the 21st century because nothing has changed let me me just illustrate Think, think of a home where only one person in the family is a true believer, that true believer, he'll feel the brunt and the accusations and the mockery and the ridicule of other people in the family circle. I think of one woman uh, who was gloriously and wonderfully saved and uh, she went along to the um, local uh, church, it was a Presbyterian church, she also was part and parcel of the work of the faith mission, went along to the pilgrims' meetings, and uh, her husband wasn't saved and he used to mock her going out and he used to say to her you're away to your wee holy Joe meeting the night you run on, dear say a wee prayer for me when you're down there and of course there was other things said she could stick it no longer but on for years he called him Joe and she said Joe one night going out the door if you're determined to go to hell then go but I'm determined to go to heaven Joe sat there thinking of what his wife said. She went on to the meeting and he was poking the fire, putting another few logs on. Looked at the fire and he he, he thought of what she said. If you're determined to go to hell. And he remembered the words, Psalm 9, 17, the wicked shall be turned into hell. You know, he sat there and he looked at the fire and he thought of hell fire. Tears started running down his face, and before long, Joe was at the back of the meeting. In that service that night, Joe gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. But up until that point in that home, that woman knew mockery, ridicule, slander, accusation. Up until the point, Joe got saved. Think of the workplace, individual Christian, a butt of jokes, snide remarks belittled, slandered. Why? Because he lives a different kind of life. And people have difficulty coping with difference. And here's a Christian who loves Christ and who lives for his glory. Other people don't like that. Think of society at large. Isn't it counted as something that's odd and strange? Something that's intolerant? Something that's impossible to get on with? Uh, The church, the Christian, you've got strange views of sin that are different from ours. You've got a view of the scriptures that we we reject. You've got a view of the saviour that we refuse to accept. And you see, we live in a day when Christians are blamed for many things. Think of the open air. People have been arrested by the police in England. Accused of riotous behaviour. Accused of hate crimes Uh, I think of one open air uh, in um, London where they had a sign, um, sodomy is a sin and they were arrested and they were charged with a hate crime because that's what the board said see the world tonight, today is opposed to the gospel There's a spirit of hostility toward the church And it's not a new thing And that's exactly what Peter is getting at Remember the opposition that's hostile Even in your pursuit of a good testimony Let's remember that Of course that's a sign uh, of the outworking of human depravity Uh, Individuals are born with a hatred of God and the gospel They, They live and walk according to the course of this world They live according to another spirit A spirit that's at enmity with God And of course It goes all the way back Even to the days of Cain and Abel Why did Cain murder godly Abel? Because he really hated God in the gospel There was human depravity at work It's also a sign of how Christ was treated Do you know this word um, evildoers? It's mentioned five times in the book of Peter. This is the first occasion. Sorry, four times. It's mentioned five times in total in the New Testament. But four times in Peter it's mentioned, evildoers. Only once it's mentioned elsewhere. And it's translated in John's Gospel. If you look at John chapter 18 in the verse 30, it's, it's translated differently. But it's the same Greek word. It's translated malfact. They answered and said unto him If he were not a, a malefactor, That's an evildoer We would not have delivered him up Unto thee You see here's a reference to Christ Pilate wanted to know why is he here Why have you brought him to me Why do you want him put to death And here's the answer He's an evildoer he, He's a criminal He deserves death Of course they said other things about him He's a wine bubber He's got a devil He's a glutton from the very time of his birth. Remember Herod tried to kill him even when he was a baby. Two years of age and under. There was other times when they wanted to stone him and tried to. When they wanted to arrest him. And you see the point is this. If they treated Christ like this. Then they'll also treat the Christian. And the more like Christ we are and become. The more the world will oppose and hate us as Christians. It's also a sign of the last days. Remember uh, what Paul, writing to Timothy, says in First uh, Timothy, Second Timothy chapter three. He, he says, This know also in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, fierce accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. You see, this is a sign of the last days. False accusers. Here's what the last days are like. As the end time approaches, there's going to be an increase in opposition of evil speaking against the church, against the Christian. Why? Because the world hates the gospel. The world hates the church. And we just have to think for a moment of the Jeremy Springer show a few years ago that was shown on the BBC. A blasphemous production of Jesus Christ superstar. Focusing on an unbiblical view of Christ. Did you know there was 10,000 complaints to the BBC? Letters, telephones, emails, and they were all ignored. Just counted as irrelevant. What does it matter of 10,000 license pay fears? Um, uh, say this is wrong. What if there been a, a program about Muhammad? Do you know They burnt the BBC down in London? See, it's a different story. (laughs) But the church, the Christian, they're fair game. You you think of schools today that want to question the theory of evolution. And there's a big outcry. They want to teach creationism. Oh, we can't let that happen. You think of them, there's a sin and a scandal in the community. Maybe if the individual, sadly, is a church minister. Let's say he's an elder. Maybe a Sunday school teacher. You can just see the headlines. Free Presbyterian minister. Arrested on suspicion of. And they'll mention what the, the crime is. Or, or, or accused of. Or, or found guilty of. And it's front page news. It's on the television. Why? Why, why mention he's, he's connected to such and such a church? Because there's a battle going on. And it's the opposition and the hostility of the world to the Christian. And we're to remember the opposition that's hostile. And I know it's hard to bear. And I know it's hard to take, can be discouraging, can be wearisome, can, can, can even lead to depression. People want to run and hide. Want to give up? And let's remember, the name of the Lord, the psalmist said, is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into you, and are safe. So that's the first thing. The second thing, and it will be a wee bit briefer, remember the object that's holy. He says in verse 12, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. See, here's the true believer's response to the opposition of the world. Here's how to react. A life of constant holiness. When you're slandered, when you're spoken of falsely, or when you're persecuted, how do you respond? Does the church, the Christian, respond in kind? Do we say, well, let's give as good as he or she is giving us? Do, do, do we allow ourselves to become a full of malice and anger and bitterness toward the individual and adopt the mindset, well, if they do it to us, let's do it back to them. As hard as they give to us, let's give them harder. Let's seek revenge. Let's adopt the mindset, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Of course, that's what the devil wants us to do. He would fill our hearts and minds with such thoughts. Let's do wrong to do right. Of course, that's not what Peter's saying. Peter's saying, if you're evil spoken of, if you're slandered, if you're ridiculed, if you're persecuted, if you face antagonism, then maintain a good, honorable testimony. The word conversation here means manner of living so we could read it having your manner of living honest among the Gentiles is to do with the whole of our life not just our talk but our walk it has to be honourable it has to be honest it has to be handsome note the words here they may buy your good works which they shall behold isn't that interesting Live in a way that you're above reproach. We're to live godly if we're going to live for God. We have no right to behave and act like the world. We have no right to adopt the world's attitude and approach. I'm convinced there's a link between verse 11 and verse 12. There's a call for holiness. Throughout this chapter. A life of spiritual progress. A life of growth. In verse 11. There's a private battle going on in our souls. A battle with temptation and sinful desires. And in verse 12. There's a public battle going on. The hostility of the world against the church. But but living our lives before men. And of course if we feel in the first part. The guarding of our souls. If we fail to abstain from succumbing to fleshly desires, then surely we'll fail in not living a holy, consistent life. The psalmist said, My son, keep thy heart with all diligence. And of course, if we think about our hearts, the real us, we're thinking about our mind, we're thinking about our tongue, we're thinking about our eyes, we're thinking about our hands, and we're thinking about our feet. And it's vital that we remember that because the world is watching us, the world observes us, the the world. Let's make it clear, the world cares nothing for Christian doctrine or theology, They have no desire to come to the house of God. They don't care about church history or church policy. But I'll tell you what they do do. They watch our lives like a hawk. And they know and see if our conduct is honest and holy and handsome. The ungodly observe and watch how we behave. They mightn't read their Bibles, but they read our lives and they make an assessment. Somebody has rightly said that Christians live in glass houses and we're in constant display. Now think of that. You and I live in a glass house, in our home, in the workplace, in society, and we're in constant display. And the ungodly are watching how we react and behave in certain situations. When we go on outreach, go to a door, you'll hear the words, oh, So-and-so, go to your church. Or is so-and-so a Christian? And then they add, well, I want nothing to do with it. Let me tell you what they've done. And they they begin to give a diatribe of of things that this individual has alleged to have done or or not to have done. See, the world scrutinizes us. The world is watching us. And the world expects a higher standard from the Christian in the church then they even are prepared to live themselves. Our conduct, our confession, our conversation ought never to be a stumbling block for others. We're to live such a holy life to, to, to encourage others to follow our example. Give something that's praiseworthy, something that's morally good, something that's notable, set before them. And of course, part and parcel of living a consistent holy life is to hate iniquity and to love righteousness. And is that the mindset that we adopt when we think about a good testimony? Remember, the object is to be holy. We're to set that in front of our mind. Let's remember this. But as he which has called you as holy, that's God. So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. There's the word again. In all manner of living. Why? Because it's written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And part of being holy is to hate iniquity and to love righteousness. Remember our Lord Jesus Christ. uh, What was actually said of him in the book of Hebrews. It, it, It says... In Hebrews chapter 1 and in the verse 9 it says, "Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. And that's what we as Christians are to do. We're to hate iniquity and we're to love righteousness. And also one other little thing here in the text. Remember the outcome that's healthy. If you read the rest of the text it says... That they may by your good works, which they shall behold, scrutinize, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now now what does this mean? Peter, here's the outcome that's healthy. There's going to come a time when the unbeliever, the ungodly, is going to glorify God in the day of visitation. When they're going to give thanks to him. When they're going to praise him. When they're going to glorify him. And this day uh, day of visitation is open to a variety of interpretations. Scholars want to know when they're going to glorify God. And how they're going to glorify God. Some suppose that this day of visitation is a day of wrath. The last day when God judges everyone. And then we have to add But the ungodly, the worldly man, they're going to be condemned. They're not going to glorify God. Others say, well, it's a trial before earthly magistrates when the accusations are found and proved to be false. Then there's going to be thankfulness to God. Most of the Reformed uh, commentators say that this reference to day of visitation is a day of grace. A day of the mercy of God. Almost like a day when there's a breath of revival. When the non-believer who has falsely accused the, 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 the true believer for years. Accepts God's salvation. And comes to know Christ for themselves. And then glorifies God in thankfulness and praise. Isn't there a link here with Matthew chapter 5 and in the verse 16 Remember the Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount? Uh, And he said this in verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. See, Peter was there in that day. Peter heard this sermon. He remembered what Christ had said. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. How can they glorify your Father which is in heaven? By coming to know him as Father. By embracing Christ themselves as Lord and Saviour. See, let me just finish with this little thought. Christ has left in his example that we should follow in his steps. Look at verse 21 of 1 Peter chapter 2, for even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, He threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Here's the only answer to hostility. Here's the outcome that's healthy. Looking forward to the day when men experience for themselves a day of grace, a day of mercy, a day of God's visitation, when God brings them to repentance and faith in Christ. See, let me just finish with this. What does your life and mine say of Jesus Christ in our home, in the workplace, in society? What does it say of the gospel? What does it say of God? What does it say even about the the name and term Christian? What does our life say? Because our lives are the books that others will read. And through our lives we could become links. Even to that person being brought the faith in Christ. Here's the outcome that's healthy. We look forward to the day when others will glorify God. And give thanks to him. We all want a good testimony. Let's just remember the things that are involved. The opposition that's hostile. Let's remember that. Let's remember the object that's holy. We're called to live a holy life. Let's remember the outcome that's healthy. Men will glorify God in the world. May the Lord bless these few thoughts to our hearts this morning.